dynamic diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic magazine We're all different but we can learn from each other Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered, Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, diversity is very important in technology because it provides a platform for bringing different perspectives into play. And when you have a diverse team, you have, you're able to address issues, concerns, and unidentified problems that may have otherwise been totally overlooked. We talk with Authorine Lawrence who has opened doors and broken grounds, new ground as a leader in the STEM technology world, as an environmental scientist, certified diversity and inclusion professional, and vice president with the Department of Energy. Senior diversity and STEM program lead, Authelene has also participated in the life-changing study of the cultivating of Henrietta Lacks cells, but also investing in others by contributing her knowledge and technical experience with environmental policy making and advocacy. Dynamac got an insight on her perspective on inclusion and diversity, it is one that will put hope into any tough scenario. Where are you originally from, and what was it like growing up there? I'm originally from Houston, Texas. I was born in Houston and also lived uh, during a part of my childhood in Dallas, Texas. And if you know anything about Texans, once a Texan, always a Texan. So there was... There were a lot of things that occurred uh, during my childhood. There were happy times and also challenging times. So I was born in 1958, which was the emergence of the Civil Rights Movement. And right. even though I had a very happy childhood for the most part, um, you know, barbecue, rodeos, a lot of family cookouts and spending time with my cousins during the summer, and I could probably – remember mostly all the country songs um, that I listened to growing up, there was also, it was also a time of change. So when I was mm -hmm. born, I had to be born in the National Negro Hospital designated for African Americans only. We weren't allowed to eat in Watts restaurants, which is a chain of restaurants that's very popular um, throughout Texas. Um, when my mother needed to try on clothes at Garfinkel's, which is a store that's closed down now, it's comparable to uh, Lord & Taylor, Neiman Marcus. She had to try them on in the storage room in the back. So I grew up during a time of segregation, moving into desegregation. My father was a staunch Republican, and I grew up in the Lutheran church. So I attended Lutheran private schools while I was in 
Dallas, Texas. So that's when I first learned about uh, racism and, and prejudice, even though my family never discussed race and limitations. What was drilled in me was to do your best to get your education and contribute to society. So nothing, including color, was used as an excuse not to achieve. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what motivated your choice of study and your career path? Well, I was surrounded by a lot of educators, especially on my mother's side, including university regents, administrators, principals. And so education was a really prominent concept that was drilled into us. It was part of our culture. There wasn't much discussion because everyone lived it by example. So I had an uncle who was a dentist, and I had a couple of cousins that were doctors, another cousin that was an anesthesiologist, and I just grew fond of life sciences and uh, biological sciences. I remember always being out in nature, playing, you know, riding my bike, going to the landfill. That's something you wouldn't do today. (laughs) But, um, you know, getting up early in the morning, capturing tickle bees in my hand. And, you know, they're like little bitty bees that don't sting, but they hoover around the plants when the dew is fresh in the morning. So we would, my friends and I would catch those early in the morning and, you know, get a morning laugh. We would capture lightning bugs to see them uh, kind of make homemade flashlights. And my favorite game was Operation. So I wasn't really (laughs) into dolls. I was more into camping, uh, climbing trees, riding horses, being outdoors. And I just had a fondness for, for medicine. And actually, I wanted to originally be an OBGYN doctor. And find a cure for cancer. My internship when I first, my first internship in college was working in the emergency room at Howard University. And then I attained another mentorship at National Institute of Health working under Dr. Lippman in the Cancer Institute. And there I was responsible for cultivating Henrietta Lacks cancer cells. And what's what's interesting is a lot of times when we're young and we're doing work and we have these internships, we have absolutely no idea the impact that we're making on the lives of others. So where I am now, looking back, even though I wasn't in the forefront, I wasn't doing the actual research and making decisions, I take a great deal of pride in the fact that I contributed to improving the quality of lives of others by cultivating our sales and running tests on them so that they can find answers to problems, dealing with cancer research and other issues. Exactly. That's a big deal. Right. And I also was able to shadow an OBGYN doctor at Howard University. I learned a lot about medicine and 
just being there in the forefront and seeing things up close had a dramatic impact on me and actually how I would make health decisions for myself and my children as well. Wow. That's great. That's really incredible. I'm familiar with that story. So tell us a bit about your current position at the Department of Energy and what your job entails. Well, when I first came to the Department of Energy, I came to work on the National Environmental Policy Act as a compliance Mm -hmm. officer. That meaning that we had to thoroughly evaluate the projects and the initiatives that we were undertaking to ensure that there were no significant environmental impacts to the communities that were in close proximity of the projects that we were putting in place and that there was no significant impact, negative impact to the environment uh, around those projects. So that was very interesting because I was able to utilize and implement all of the environmental and safety and health regulations in helping the agency come to a decision and ensure that we weren't capricious in our decisions. Then from... It it is huge, and and you get an insight to a lot of the technologies that the department is undergoing and seeing it from a lot of different perspectives and collaborating with stakeholders and industry and academia. In my current position, I'm still an environmental scientist at the Department of Energy, but I'm also the energy efficiency and renewable energy senior diversity and STEM program lead, which has become a very good niche for me because Mm -hmm. I've always thoroughly enjoyed and received a lot of energy from working with young people. And it's a great Mm -hmm. way that brings into play all of my technical experience and helping to develop the workforce. So with my background, I'm able to look at things from a scientific and technical perspective as well as from a human resource employee engagement perspective. So they all complement each other. Exactly, they do. They do. So why do you think diversity is important in technology? Well, I believe that Diversity is very important in technology because it provides a platform for bringing different perspectives into play. And when you have a diverse team, you have, you're able to address issues, concerns, and unidentified problems that may have otherwise been totally overlooked. And one example comes to mind is a young boy named, well, I'll, I'll spell it, is R-U-I-T. And he's from Asia, and he grew up in a very small village where there's no running water, no electricity. The school was miles and miles away from where he lived. And he was motivated to go into the medical field after his sister died of tuberculosis. So he made it his mission to go and become a doctor so that he could bring technology back to his village so that people were no longer destroyed by preventable and curable diseases. 
So what he did is he addressed the cost prohibitive cataract surgery in his village by simplifying the process and making the process manual. So what happened is this procedure that typically costs $200 um, per procedure ended up being only $25 per procedure. And that simple process modification allowed people to live their lives with better quality and not become blind because of lack of access, access, or funds. Right. That's life-changing. Right. Well, as both a woman in STEM and a diversity and inclusion professional, tell our readers what are some of the deficits caused by a lack of diversity in tech companies and STEM industries in general and what recommendations you would make to overcome them. Well, I think what happens when there's a lack of diversity in the STEM fields is that you lose out on perspectives just like this young man in Asia. So I look at the Bill Gates Foundation and how they set out to look at areas that are not being addressed to find solutions to problems. And when you pull from a diverse pool of individuals, you're able to see things through their eyes and see and get a look at things that matter to them. So one example is with the National Environmental Policy Act, their environmental evaluations that occur. And there was one project in particular where it was impacting a tribal nation, their habitat, Mm -hmm. where they lived and carried out their lives. So what this national laboratory did is that they included them in the process, gave them funding, so they could do environmental evaluations. And why that's important is because they live there. They know about the species and the flora and the fauna and everything that's going on in the environment around them. So someone coming from the outside could miss something that's very vital and important. So that's an excellent example of inclusion and how diversity is beneficial because there were some findings that they would have had no clue about if they didn't pull in the indigenous people to help them identify those issues. Okay. So with President Trump's travel ban has gone into partial effect. What are your thoughts on this, and how do you think it will affect the recruiting of international talent in STEM? Well, I'm not an expert on on that issue, but mm-hmm. I know that there is still opportunity within America. We ha- we're a melting pot, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of untapped talent right here in the United States. So we look at students in the inner cities in Baltimore, in Oakland, California, in Chicago. And so there are a lot of opportunities right here at home that we need to pour our attention into and bring those students up. And a lot of people like to focus on the students who have the 4.5 GPA 
and um, you know have all these accolades and honors. But what's more interesting to me is a student who doesn't even realize that they're interested in science. The student that hasn't discovered that they're brilliant and that they have a desire and passion. So exposure is extremely important. And a lot of times it doesn't take a great deal of money. It takes time in making that connection. So when a young person sees someone who's, say, like me, an environmental scientist, and they've never met an African-American environmental scientist, you know, it just opens their eyes to the possibilities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on a more personal note, as a woman in a predominantly masculine field, have you faced any obstacles in your career progression or ability to participate fully in a work processes? Well, I think in any field and uh, in anything that you pursue, that you're going to have challenges regardless of um, perceptions that others have, but absolutely being a person of color adds a whole new dimension to that. Um, When I first started in the workforce, I started working in the Navy at the Naval Medical Command once I received my degree. And the Navy was very, very good to me. Management embraced me and encouraged me and uh, helped to expose me to training opportunities and advancement. And then when I went to the Naval Research Laboratory, I was the first physical science technician that they hired. And some of the comments that I heard after hiring me was that they can't find any scientists or uh, technically skilled African-Americans. And that was surprising to me because everyone that I associated with as a pre-med student at Howard was either going into medicine, engineering, architecture, or they were dealing in math. So I couldn't relate to that. And plus, a lot of people in my family, you know, were and are in those fields. Yes. So part part of it is where are you looking for these people and what are you doing to attract them and to give them the information that they need to make a decision whether they want to come and work for you. And then when I came right. to the Department of Energy, uh, Human Resources was totally shocked because they hired me as an environmental scientist and they said that you're the first African-American environmental scientist that the department has hired. So, again, when people see you in positions, they aspire to do more. And several of the African-American women in the office were saying that, you know, seeing you come in and get your master's, now I want to get my master's. And I know that I can work towards promotion and career development. Wow. So we have to take the step and take the risk to be more and do more so that others can replicate. Right. Now, one thing, you know, people may say, well, how do you feel being the first? 
and actually in mentioning that you're the first, it's a double-edged sword because it's nice to, you know, break ground and open up opportunities, Mm -hmm. but it's also weighs heavy on your heart because in this day and time, the playing field should be more level and there should be more presence instead of always celebrating that there's the first. Right, right. Well, congratulations on that. <laughs> that is, that's really big. That's a huge deal. Thank you. Well, in giving advice to other diversity and inclusion offices out there, what are some valuable characteristics, traits, contributions, and behaviors to exhibit in that capacity? I think it's very important that you need to be able to listen, to appreciate the value and skills that others have, and setting a platform for them to express that and feel included and and that their opinions are welcome and appreciated. And also being able to give people the tools and resources they need in order to do their job effectively. And as a diversity professional, just because you're a diversity professional professional doesn't mean that you've arrived. We all have things that we have to deal with and work on. And with that, in helping bring other people along, you also have to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you have quite a bit of experience facilitating communications to wide-range stakeholders and customers in multiple environments. So tell our readers what are some concerns you might have about working with diverse populations and communities. Well, I think one of the um, main things that comes to mind is that I'll just use websites for minority-serving institutions and then you compare them to the majority schools. There is a lot of great, tremendous, phenomenal work that our minority-serving institutions are carrying out. But sometimes when you go to the website, you don't find those jewels because the way the information is hidden or it's not prominently displayed on the website. So, for example, you have federal agencies and other entities that may be looking to work with a Hispanic school or an uh, HBCU, historically black university, in marine biology. But if you don't have that information prominently displayed in your website when people are going through search engines, you can be missing out on opportunities. And then also something else that minority-serving institutions should invest in is having a skilled and accomplished grant writer so that you're able to write the proposals to be effectively competitive. A lot of people feel as though it's just about the money, and it really isn't that. There are a lot of other opportunities for you to engage and to be seated at the table to make a difference, be involved in competitions, uh, be a part of peer review, have your students 
participate in internships because, believe it or not, when your student is an intern at an agency and they're doing a phenomenal job, they're representing that school's brand, their marketing, their abilities to cultivate leaders. And when they look at that student, they'll be looking at that school and may want to do additional work with that school. And a lot of times we have students that come and they're ambassadors for their university, and they use their networking capabilities to connect program offices to research and development that's occurring in their school and getting people together. So internships isn't only about collecting a check and putting something on your resume. It's about expanding your horizons, connecting people, marketing your school, and helping your school to move forward as well as yourself. Right. I agree. I agree. It's definitely beyond the one person, the communities, and, and everything big. Right. So what what is next on the agenda for you? That's a great question. Uh, personally <laughs> or professionally? Both. Whatever you'd like to well, share. I do have a, an extensive bucket list. It has probably about 30 to 45 things uh, listed there. But as far as career-wise, I'm just an advocate for people. The greatest joy and satisfaction I give is helping people find their voice when they didn't know that they had a voice, empowering them and helping people to succeed, that's extremely rewarding. And as a vice president with the National Treasury Employees Union for Chapter 213, I have a great opportunity to do that as well. So our mission is to protect employees' rights and to ensure that they are working in an environment that promotes dignity and respect. And we also lobby before Congress and, you know, help with legislation to ensure that they're being represented well. And then working with the internship programs is is very rewarding as well. As I said before, that's one of the highlights of my career. So as far as career is concerned, is to continue doing that type of work to help others succeed. Now, when it comes to my bucket list, Mm -hmm. I have a wide variety of interests, and that's just because I love life. So some of the things that I absolutely enjoy doing is being in and around water. But as far as the, the bucket list is concerned, is I would love to take a train ride through Germany during Oktoberfest. Wow. <laughs> go on a go on a Mediterranean cruise okay. uh, for 14 days. Uh, that would include Barcelona because I love to travel. That's one of my favorite pastimes. I have about five books that are in my righteous head that I would love to complete and get published, maybe even having a speaking part in a feature movie, and travel to Iceland and camp under the Northern Lights. 
Wow. Is another one. And I see myself retiring in Adobe home uh, filled with energy efficient technologies with a nice garden in my yard with a phenomenal view of nature. Wow. You might have to talk a little bit later. <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> no a problem. really good time. Postcard worthy for sure. Right. Okay, so what advice would you give to those from minority populations looking to make a career in STEM? Well, I think it's very important to take advantage of the tools and the opportunities that you have at your fingertips. When I was coming up, there weren't that many opportunities. And when you did an internship, they weren't as enriching and fulfilling, I believe, as they are now. And that sounds contrary to what I mentioned before because I worked on Henrietta Lacks um, cultivating her cells. But that was a unique and very valuable opportunity. However, nowadays, with the increase in technology and access to experts, young people have such a phenomenal opportunity to connect and learn. And at the Department of Energy, there are career maps that have been designed to help students find out what different professions they could go to based on academic concentration. So we have career maps dealing with wind, solar, and bioenergy. And also in our federal energy management program, there is a training certification series. So it's free and it's online. So there are a lot of training tools online that students have access to. And also connecting with people who are in the field, experts, who will share information with you. And a lot of people love to share information. And sometimes it's hard to get people to listen. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) it's very important to connect with people who are in the field so you can learn about their journey. Uh, the mistakes that they made, how they overcame them. Something else that young people generally do not do is attend professional conferences. When you attend a professional conference, that sets you above and sets you out among other students Mm -hmm. because a lot of students don't necessarily attend those. And when you go to a conference, you have access to a wealth of knowledge. Not only that, resources, and more importantly, people who can take you under your wing and train you and connect you to others. Priceless, yes. Wow. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I would just say for young people, to take advantage of opportunities that are presented and don't take them for granted because I originally wanted to be a medical doctor, but my journey was somewhat different because I went to Howard. Uh, Life happened and life will always happen and it doesn't discriminate, but what's important is how you respond to it. 
So when life presented circumstances to me, I pulled from my family's encouragement and their strength and example, knowing that I will get my degree because that was the expectation. So while I was in school, I had to work my way through school. So many semesters, I was carrying 16 to 18 credits, working three part-time jobs and cheering because I had to have somewhat of a life. And looking back on it, I don't even know how I did it. But when you're set, when you have your goals set and you're determined to accomplish them, you will. So the downside of that is that when I graduated, I was really burned out. So I had every opportunity to go to medical school. My uncle was on the admission staff of a, a medical school review board. I worked for Dr. Lippman, who had phenomenal connections. I received a call from the president of Meharry Medical School, um, a school in Tulane. Medical school contacted me to come and be a part of their student body. And I there was nothing left in me because I had worked <laughs> so hard. But... Yeah. I say that to say that when those opportunities come, do not take them for a grant for granted, embrace them, and you will get the energy to do what you need to do if you're really set on doing that. You know it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. I'm so glad that I was granted the opportunity to do so um you've been a huge. You know, made a huge contribution to your community, both near and far. And I'm just grateful that there are people like you who care to make a difference and invest in the children of the future, our youth, you know, our millennials. And, again, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend with Dynamic to do this interview because people need to hear about this side of things and that there are people who are doing positive things, you know, African-American people, women who are doing great things. So. Again, I want to thank you for giving us your time today for this interview. Oh, no problem. It was a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired. Dynamic Diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be